This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another episode of Video Junkyard Podcast. Uh, with you as always, Joe Peterson and the other host, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. Good to be back in the junkyard. Yeah. Been watching a lot of stuff lately and, uh, geez, just like, I, I, I'm finding there's so much out there i mean we've been we've been tossing ideas back and forth of all sorts of different oh, movies man. we want to watch i've been trying to keep up with everything but i no kidding excited like, about the i one come up with like about tonight between five and ten different ideas for movies we could watch for this podcast every day it seems like mm-hmm. so we would you know we could be doing this for the rest of our natural lives and i don't think we would run out of films to watch so no uh, never underestimate the ability of filmmakers to make bad movies that are worth yes. watching and, and finding something good out of them, which is what I love yeah. doing here. Well, my favorite so. thing is when we, you know, really like dig back to a movie that's kind of a forgotten gem and, mm-hmm. and that's something that I really, really like and, and latch onto something or, or like have a couple memories of from childhood or, you know, I remember the movie poster, but I never saw it. And, you know, really yeah. discovering these, these fantastic movies that I've kind of forgotten about. And hopefully that's what we can provide for you you the listener as uh we you know kind of do what we always do and talk a bunch of shit about movies and um hopefully we'll turn a couple of people into i actually got some feedback from a friend of mine who heard the first episode of our show Hmm. and was very excited to check out waxwork and i got kind of uh a little excited about that like man we turned at least one person onto waxwork and (laughs) our work here is done you know like (laughs) yeah as as long as it's not the opposite like wow i was gonna see that movie but i listened to your podcast and i want nothing to do with it now (laughs) as long as that doesn't happen that is well and then i he he's like well you guys seem like you really liked it i'm sure it's really great and just um Hopefully he will enjoy it as much as we did. I'm not everyone's going to. It's Waxworks, one of those movies that maybe isn't for everyone. But hopefully, um, at least everyone who's out there, you know, giving us their time will at least every once in a while find something we talk about and and go and see and actually enjoy one of these films. So we do it. We well, do a fairly large variety here on Video Junkyard. So hopefully you're finding something that's to your liking. Absolutely. And, and, you know, even just to kind of uh, pick up, I wanted to mention one thing that uh, has just been in the news just within the last couple of days. There is a a documentary coming out about uh, a film that is is perfect fodder for the video junkyard. And the movie that the documentary is about is um, uh, Shane Black's classic film, Monster Squad. Oh, and yes, there's a documentary coming out about not Monster Squad, and it is called Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, it's a documentary <laughs> about fantastic. the making of Monster Squad, and it's called Wolfman's Got Nards. And that's <laughs> and I just recently rewatched Monster Squad uh, less than a year ago, 
and oh man, I need to pick up that one again someday. Good movie, and I that's one that, that we need to review soon uh, on here too. But just it's it seems like this is this is something that is catching on, whether whether people are listening to our podcast or not. Uh, there's a there seems to be a resurgence in kind of looking back on these genre films from the '80s and and kind of giving them some more appreciation. And and I'll say, Monster Squad was a, a great one to actually introduce my my kids to. My daughter watched it. And, um, it didn't scare her. It mildly right. entertained her, which was better than giving her nightmares. Um, yeah. And it, well, it's it also funny introduces her to all of the classic Universal Monster characters. Absolutely. I just say the classic monsters, actually, because the the Hammer mm-hmm. um, monsters as well. I mean, it's the your Dracula, uh, Wolfman, Frankenstein, Mummy. And what's interesting creature. is that she she's I think she's introduced what surprised me is that's that's what I thought. I was like, Oh, I'm gonna show her Monster Squad, that'll introduce her to kind of the Rogues Gallery of the classic universal monsters. And she knew who all of them were because of shows like uh or shows and movies like Hotel Transylvania. Uh huh. Yeah. Or um There's uh, a Netflix show called oh jeez, um Little something monsters. It's not little monsters. Like Monster Family. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's about you know Dracula, and it's actually about Dracula, Wolfman, Invisible Man, all of their kids going to a school for monsters. I don't know. Anyway, it's well, it's yeah. for young children. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. it, it is introducing oh, those yeah. characters, which is always always cool in my book. I'm I, I haven't seen the show yet per se. Yeah. My kids are like just a little too young for it, I think, but mm-hmm. doesn't well, hold she, their I, interest. I tried already, but <laughs> my, my eight year old daughter is also interested in, in the Monster High series oh, yeah. okay. and, and yep. toys, which Disney's got one called like um oh it's like Vampir it's not Vampirella, but something along those lines. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Disney Vampirella. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the but, next big feature, I think. I don't know. Yeah the the Monster High stuff's kinda weird because it's all like mini skirts and high heels and lots of makeup and big hair and it's like i don't really know if i want my daughter playing with these but then you know she brings the toys home or she watches the cartoons and the cartoons that was the entire marketing strategy behind those dolls was to like well let's make a monster so that the you know the 30 something dads right now are going to be have to you know be conflicted about this normally they're like no don't do the whole makeups and miniskirts yeah. thing but if we make a monsters they're definitely they're going to well, be well and, and, and i'm totally a hypocrite because she was at one point interested in the brats dolls and i was like hell no and she's like well, what about <laughs> right. monster high and i'm like well it is a werewolf yeah well <laughs> i had was, a wonder okay. a, a fantastic experience this last uh <laughs> one of you know many to come and i'm sure you've you've had many of these as a parent but um kind of when you those those little moments of affirmation when you like yeah I'm I guess I'm doing something right, and uh, we went to the Toys R Us store. That was, actually they closed their doors this past week as the date of the recording, so they're totally out of business now. But they were closing everything out between like sixty and eighty percent off, and um, I was kind of perusing the Star Wars toys mm-hmm. for myself, oh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, was holding um, Arlo, my my daughter who's eighteen months old, in the child carrier like the baby bjorn type child carrier mm-hmm. on the front of me and she all on her own i promise um picked up a star wars like the ray of jakku um like barbie sized action figure mm-hmm. and was not going to leave the, leave the store without this thing like this is the one thing that she wanted in this entire toys r us store was this star wars doll so there we go you know you kind of 
Yep. Dust off that your knuckles awesome. there. Like, yep, I'm doing something right. And I, she hasn't even seen Star Wars yet. I don't know what her attachment to it was. Maybe she's familiar with something logo-wise because I have so much Star Wars stuff around. But that was what she wanted. So um, well, I, I got, I had we a bought very it, and she's similar... got to forget about it now because it's going to be a Christmas present. But Well, that's, it, I, I miss that age where you can do that, where you can get them something, yeah, and then when right. they're not looking, you just wrap it up and be like, surprise, a month later. Um, yeah, she'll my, love my it all son, over again. So. My, my not, son, who's, who knows? when he turned about three, we took him to Toys R Us. This was actually not that long ago when we found out they were going to be going out of business. So I was like, let's go there now before all the other dads show up and grab all the Star Wars toys with their daughters. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yep. We got there and we were we were going through and he had a very similar thing. He was he was kind of toddling around and he had two stuffed animals he had picked out. One was this cute little Godzilla, which I've actually shared a link for on the Facebook page. Oh yeah, yep, absolutely. And the That's other awesome. was from the same company makes uh, an alien face hugger with a <laughs> cute little smiley face on it. And he was so he wanted both. And I was like, you can only pick one. And I was like, where is he going to go with it? And he went with Godzilla. So, yeah, but if he would have gone with the there face hugger, there was no wrong choice. There was no wrong choice in that. If he yeah. would have gone to sleep every night with his little face hugger, <laughs> God damn, that'd be awesome. Um, but he goes to sleep with Godzilla every night, which is really, 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 really cool. So yeah, yeah. it's, um, I, I'm kind of envious on some of the toys that kids have nowadays, especially for things like that. Yeah, but, me too. Uh, I mean, I feel like we, we grew up in the, we actually grew up in the age of toys as well. Like everything had marketing and, you know, fast food toys and mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. movie that came out had 20 action figures and, but I feel like the toys now are cooler. Like they're more well thought out. And like, I, I will say this though, they're not as good of quality as they used to be. Oh um, no, yeah, that's for he, sure. But... My son started playing with some of the the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom toys, or and my daughter had some of the Jurassic World toys, and mm -hmm. they're falling apart. I still have all my original Jurassic Park, you know, Series One toys from '93, and I don't think I've ever changed the batteries out of that roaring T Rex. <laughs> and it still roars. It's been in storage for 20 years, and it still roars. And they still, he plays with them now, and those things are tough. They don't break. Yeah. And the ones today, it's like you you look at them wrong and they fall apart. So, yeah. It, it but but they do cool stuff. So that's what matters. And and I think also, and this is something we've touched on a little bit before, um, toys that came out based on films back in the day, back in the 80s and in the 90s. You had you had toys coming out for films that kids shouldn't have been watching, right? You yeah, know, there were Terminator toys. There were I had some Terminator. Yeah, toys. I, yeah, I remember you had those. I also there were um, I know there was some complaints when Jurassic Park came out about should kids really be playing with dinosaurs that you can rip off part of their flesh? Yes, um, they should. Yes, they should, and they <laughs> End did. End of discussion. <laughs> uh, you know the, the fact that Ghostbusters, those toys were were they just exploded on the scene. And, of yeah. course, they were based on the cartoon, but the fact that you had a cartoon based on a movie that most kids probably shouldn't have watched because there was some language and sexually explicit stuff, and, you know, there were some there were some references in Ghostbusters I just got, like, yeah. within the last 10 to 15 years. <laughs> right. So, there's, it's, it's just kind of amazing how they came out with things, and today they, they wouldn't touch them now. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Hey, just a reminder, all the reviews we do here on the Video Junkyard podcast are full of spoilers. Now, most of the movies that we are reviewing are older than I am, so if you haven't seen them yet, get out there and watch them. But just as a warning, there are spoilers in these reviews. Spoiler alert. The film that we're going to be talking about today 
did I'm surprised not they didn't. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't because of the arrow when it was made. But I mean, they could have had all the like falling off body parts and you know. traumatize your kid <laughs> because we're talking about David Cronenberg's awesome 1986 remake of The Fly. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. Could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. So, this was a remake of uh, a 1958 science fiction film um, that was put out by 20th Century Fox, directed by Kurt Newman, and it, it stars, you know, uh, of course, Vincent Price is who got top billing on the fly. And it was actually yes. a double, a, a double bill when it first came out with Space Master X7. But Cronenberg remade it in '86 with uh, Gina Davis, uh, and of course the, the great Jeff Goldblum uh, and John yes. Getz. And it's such a different movie it has the same basic plot like the basic it, it, armature I mean, is there it's certainly a, a good remake it's it's got it, all the plots there from the original film i mean i was surprised when i saw the original film how similar it is it's just mm -hmm. it the tone of the film that is entirely different yeah this is one i remember the first time i i mean the po you, you mentioned before like poster art and i remember the poster art for this was so mm -hmm. iconic you know the pod and the, the the insect leg coming out of it uh and of course the tagline be afraid be very afraid is is still one of those like top 10 taglines from a movie it's up oh, there yeah. with you know here's looking at you kid and all that um yeah but I remember this it came out in 86, and then by the time it came out on video, and I was starting to get old enough where I was renting these things. My, my parents had a, a deal worked out with our local video store in the small town that we grew up in, where they knew I loved these kinds of movies, um, but of course they're rated R, so they weren't supposed to rent them to a kid. Um, but my mom actually sent me to the video store with a note saying, Joe can watch these. He's not interested in the bad words or the sex and nudity. He just wants to see the gory stuff, which I'm not really <laughs> sure if that was okay or not, but it worked. So yeah, I got to right. see this. And I remember asking my dad, have you ever seen The Fly? And he just looked at me going, it was disgusting. And it is. It really is a disgusting film. But there's I... something about Cronenberg's work where he's always put awesome gore in his films in a tasteful way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, he's 
the best way to describe this movie well and and maybe uh to describe this it's a bit of its own subgenre where almost every film in that subgenre is made by david cronenberg but Mm -hmm. the idea of it's actually a literary style i think but um the the body horror body horror yeah and if anyone were ever to ask me like what is body horror i'd be like well watch the fly that is this is the movie that yeah kind of for me at least in my experience with the with the subgenre is um this is the movie that best describes it is that a transformation yeah. you know kind of a brutal transformation of the entire human body uh, i would say in control uh, of your own body and your body turning on you and, and i would say else. most of cronenberg's films are like that whether whether you're it's, looking at video drone or naked lunch or the fly or any any cronenberg it's a movie it's a tot or a something he's very interested in <laughs> for sure so the basic uh premise of this this is coming from imdb and it it summarizes it quite well a brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong and that's the same plot as the original except the way that it goes about doing is very different um you know in the original film when when he accidentally splices himself with a fly he's got a fly head and a fly arm meanwhile there's a fly flying around with a human head and a human arm very tiny yeah. doing the the classic high pitch help me help me in the the uh, spider web in this mm-hmm. one and, but they did something in the original uh, 58 one they did have it slowly the scientist started becoming more fly like in his aggression in his instincts yes. um and and they do that here too except in this one when um when when Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, comes out of the pod not knowing he's been spliced with a fly, uh, he feels great. He feels rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. He feels what is it? Uh, the the line he keeps uh, spouting is something like, uh, uh, you know, out of the some molecular thing out of the plasma or something like that. Um, you know, he, he keeps talking about how great he feels and how rejuvenated, and and he feels like this might have. Know, be a cure for for various problems and he's super strong and very athletic and and has the sexual prowess but then he starts to rot throughout the movie and it becomes really hard to watch um now i did a little bit of research on this too and, and this film is also rather infamous for the early screenings for test audiences there's a, a scene that legend says people at least one person ran out of the, the theater vomiting Yes, uh, and and they changed, they <laughs> cut out that scene and a number of others. Of course, they're on the 2005 version of the DVD, which I, a Blu-ray, which I recommend people pick up. Um, yeah, I just rebought it, and I rebought the like multi-pack mm-hmm. with this and, and the sequel, The Fly Two. Oh yeah, and it does not have the special feature. Should have done my research a little better because I, I, when reading about that, I'm like, oh man, I would really like to see the deleted scenes just to see how. Because let's be honest, they're even what stayed in this film um had it certainly has moments that are quite disgusting and it if if you know and then i'm reading that oh they actually cut out most of the worst yeah it's like Like, what what was what was too much for the fly yeah Um, i would like to see what they what they cut out because i i some people i guess there's a difference in the way people watch like really gory or gross films like i get kind of a little um I don't want to call it joy because it certainly is disgusting. It's still kind of like, um, but it, it, I don't know. It's some people are really turned off by stuff like this. Like I know people and that will probably not, if they've ever seen this movie, will never see it again. Right. And um, 
this kind of thing, even more so than, than straight up blood and guts gore, but this kind of like, I don't know what it is about it, but the, the body horror thing, like, I think we all live through it because we, we do kind of all have a, a fear of disease or your body, you know, uh, my, changing my, in ways that are, are become a threat to you. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I were talking about this uh, tonight before we started uh, recording and I, I, we need to get her on here more um, because <laughs> she brought up a good point, you know, that there's there's a number of films that came out in the 80s that kind of dealt with this theme. And one thing I find interesting is, is the fly whether you're talking about the 58 or the 86 version, these are cautionary tales about science. Yeah. And, and you know, this, it's kind of quintessential mad science films. Now, in the 50s and 60s, these were the atomic sci-fi movies. This was yeah. a fear of nuclear war. Or, or you know, and even though the 1958 doesn't really deal with nukes or anything like that, it's still kind of up there with them, you know, about giant ants. Um, you know, it's it still is kind of this we were fearing the unknown that was the focus is ooh, we don't understand this technology and what it can do the the cautionary sci-fi movies that came out in the 80s and she brought up she brought up a, one that's very close to her heart which is robocop yeah these are is the body horror i would say robocop um the fly and most of cronenberg's work i agree he's kind of a, a genre of himself which even was referenced in rick and morty when you know if it's a mutant it's a cronenberg um <laughs> You know, but then there's there's a number of other kind of sci-fi horror films that came out in the '80s, like Leviathan and Deep Star Six, which even though those were kind of you know just kind of piggybacking off of off of the Abyss, uh, and they weren't like alien movies, they were still you know monster movies about you explore and you make a risk. Um, mm -hmm. This one goes all the way back, in my opinion, to Frankenstein. Yeah. This this is really more of a cautionary tale in the same way Frankenstein was, except the, the scientist and the monster are one and the same. Uh, I think it's very telling that the scenes that were cut out of this were not necessarily cut out because they were too graphic. They were cut out because it made Seth Brundle, that character, less sympathetic. He's really not a villain in this. No, I mean, and certainly not at, at the start of the film. No, I, he's he's quite um, I don't, he's quite likable in a kind of a nerdy shut-in kind of way, but um, he certainly does not come across as threatening and evil, even to the point where he, you know, brings this reporter, female reporter, back to his place to show her this technology. I I don't ever feel threatened by Seth Brundle in that situation like he's he's not even threatening enough to when he to i don't know to, to feel kind of to skeezy in the situation that, that he right. puts her into like so no i don't think there's anything um evil or threatening about him at all until this change and one of the things i wrote down is like i for you forget because he's become such an internet meme now that how fantastic jeff goldblum is in this he movie. is the acting, especially yeah. in the later stages of Brundlefly. Brundlefly yeah, when well, he's it, in a full body the, suit, the transformation itself, like uh -huh. it doesn't even take the makeup or the falling apart. Like once, I mean, once it gets there, obviously his his performance keeps escalating. But the second he steps out of that pod again, yeah. just the way he's carrying himself, like he totally changes, and you could tell right away. You don't even need to. Stop wait until yeah. he starts talking differently like you know he's different like he, something has changed about this person 
It's, so yeah, it's, it's a fantastic performance. I yeah. am surprised that off the back of this, that Jeff Goldblum didn't land more leading roles in movies. Well, and I He's think it's always... because of how visually disturbing the film was. And I, I think mm-hmm. his performance, unfortunately, was lost on a lot of people, even though it's incredible. I mean, he's buried under tens of, you know, I don't know, how many pounds of, of latex in this. Yet his eyes and the way he's moving and he's twitching, I mean, he's not just like, okay, now you act crazy. No, it's act like a fly. And he is. Um and he's still maintaining that eccentric scientist balanced with this primitive primal survival you know he, there's a great monologue he has in this movie about how insects don't have politics they're just brutal mm-hmm. and and vicious and how you know i i realize now i was an insect who dreamt he was a man but now the insect is awake and it's this really revealing scene where he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that i'm not a human anymore um there's it's a really incredible performance and i think because the film also includes a shot where he is putting his you know fallen out teeth in in a medicine cabinet next to his penis in a jar yeah his his performance (laughs) i think was kind of overlooked unfortunately because of the graphic effects of this that that two second shot i almost wish it wasn't there and it's not because a penis in a jar offends me in any way or even it's not even specifically disgusting it's the fact that that is all everybody who was 10 years old and saw this movie that's all they would remember. talk about about this movie yeah well like, then and, the and vomiting on the day, donut in our generation yeah the vomiting on the donut like, i have to do yeah, the first time i saw this movie was when i was a kid i was way too young but they let me run it that was the scene i remembered because i was at that age where like vomiting freaked me out and yeah you know it, it that was because it was it's totally unexpected it's just he picks up a donut what kid doesn't want a donut all of a sudden he just burps right. this stuff on it well i love his reaction to her disgust yeah like that oh that's disgusting like, he's like oh yeah sorry <laughs> like that's yeah. disgusting like <laughs> and and you know then you see how it's weaponized later on and uh that's yeah. a pretty intense scene and oh, I, it works so well in the first one, and, they, and it's yeah, it, yeah. It, it it's again unexpected. Even though you know he's doing this to eat, like oh man, I mean everything in this movie is kind of I don't know, for lack of a better word, it's just kind of yucky. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. like everything feels just kind of um, and it starts off it's very paradoxical to that because it's it's very the narrative itself is very simple. Yeah. Um, and it starts quickly. The pace is intense of the movie. Um, not in a way like, not in the thriller intense pace kind of way, but I mean, two seconds in, you're already, you already have your two main characters and the plot's already moving. Like, you know, yeah. you barely, you barely, and then the second, um, the movie, or the, the second, like, you know, resolution, you know, she, she, kills or she blows Brundlefly's head off and, and it's over i mean that's it that's in the end of the movie and supposedly yeah. that was um a later cronenberg decision after the after it tested um they decided to cut an awful lot out of this movie and you were referencing the the deleted mm-hmm. scenes mm-hmm. and yeah I, I think you know urban legend is that oh they cut it out because it's too graphic but i don't really think no, that's the case no, they cut it, it out because it, it just it slowed it, the pace of the film down and um it changed the character it changed the character also there's yeah. supposedly a happy ending version that actually unlike a lot of test markets um 
they didn't care for the happy ending and they pulled back and said that you know okay we don't need all that let's not worry about the characters after once this this conflict between these two our two main characters has ended we're going to get out of there yeah there's there's no happy ending here i mean you just uh let's see gina davis is impregnated by a hybrid man fly the guy that's helping her is her ex-lover and boss and he's just had his leg and and hand melted off and then she Mm -hmm. just blew this monster's head off there was no you know formerly somebody she cared for so yeah there's there's no happy ending here you don't walk out of that and go get a burger you know right (laughs) well and the fact that they i don't know what you know what they were thinking from a screenplay standpoint but the fact that they wrote an ending that was supposedly "Quote unquote," the happy ending. I'm well, the original does it obviously. The, so. the original is all a flashback. You know, it's bookended with, yeah, with you yeah. know the beginning, and then there's a happy ending more or less at the end. Um, and it, the the most famous deleted scene from this is is the the monkey cat scene. Yep, where that's the one I wish I, I would have had a chance to check out, but and, and, and it's, YouTube, I can but. see why they cut it out because. Essentially, it, it, it does fill in a plot hole, too, because in the movie he's got a couple of these baboons that he's experimenting on. Mm-hmm. And there's the one that goes through and comes out totally fine. And so you wonder, well, where'd the baboon go? You don't see it again after that in the rest of the film. Well, there's the scene where he's got the baboon, and he's, he's already realized what's happening to himself. So he's trying to figure out, well, can I separate it? Can I put things together and separate them again? And he finds an alley cat. So he's got a cat in one, a baboon in the mm-hmm. other, and then he's got his third telepod, which is the clunky prototype, as he calls it. And um, what comes out of there is... Uh, do you remember the Nickelodeon show Cat Dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine if that was made by David Cronenberg. And there you go. Except it's Monkey Cat. <laughs> monkey and it cat. attacks him. And he... It, it's meant to be like a put-it-out-of-its-misery, but it comes off where he just beats the thing to death very graphically and then there's a scene that goes after that where he you know that extends from that where he goes outside and he's all frustrated and he starts sprouting limbs and he's gnawing them off and it's really it, it slowed the pace down it seemed superfluous it seemed over the like this is not really necessary mm-hmm. but it also made him look like he you know there's some animal cruelty there and it made him look like this horrible horrible careless scientist which you got to remember when he did go in that pod and accidentally had the fly in there, he was drunk, right? And and so he, that was the carelessness of, of it originally, and then everything after that is just consequence. Even with him, what the experiment he wants to do at the end, you know, with Gina Davis and fusing with her, that's mostly the fly corrupting yeah. his mind. He wouldn't have done that originally. Um, well, I think from a screenplay screenplay perspective, it makes sense. Um, early in the film when he first tries to transport the baboon and it's it's a terrible accident and it comes out all, all mutilated turned inside out essentially yeah. Yeah. he's very disturbed by that yeah because um, that's really seth brundle that's the way seth brundle would react to it he's very disturbed by it so to have him after already be starting to become the fly to start mm-hmm. experimenting on the animals fine it makes sense from a story perspective he's changing mm-hmm. however i i I'm not arguing that the scene was necessary. It was right. obviously cut for a reason, and I think this film is paced so well. I, I, I think I understand even without seeing why it yeah. was cut. Um, yeah, and it is, so. and it is very, very graphic. And one thing that I've always liked about Cronenberg, and this even goes to his more recent films like uh, History of Violence and Eastern Promises, mm-hmm. which have minimal gore effects. 
There's a right. couple of, of very classic Cronenberg-style gore in uh, History of Violence that's showing yep. like, brutal beatings and somebody getting shot in the face. Um, they're used for their intended purposes, and that is to quickly shock you with something very graphic because it's a very serious graphic incident. But he doesn't hang on it. It's not like yeah. it's not used for comedy. Cronenberg's gore is never used for. Um, it's never meant to make you squirm and giggle. It's meant to make you uncomfortable. Right. It's and never it, it, played for comedy. You could play no. something like this. You can play body horror for comedy for sure. Oh, yeah. Evil Dead films do it. it, it most zombie films do. Um, yeah, most, most zombie, zombie films, films play it for for. At least for varying degrees of comedy, this yeah. this is never played for comedy. I'll even argue that it, at points in the Fly sequel, it's not taken very seriously. Um, yeah. But in this film, Cronenberg's film, it is it's always deadly serious, and I think that's what makes it so disturbing. Is mm-hmm. that you know you're really watching somebody struggle with their body betraying them. Um, and I, I think one of the ways that that shows how effective and and successful it is is in more of the the middle of the film middle to the end of the second act when when Seth is is accepting that he is transforming he's climbing around on the walls and he does mm-hmm. the little thing about you know he he sets up the camera with Gina Davis and he's like maybe this will be like a kids book or something and he's like doing a demonstration this is how Brundlefly eats and he's he's still kind of doing the science thing but he's more He's more lighthearted in talking about it. That's not to make the audience feel lighthearted. It's it's to show the last bit of humanity that he has, and it's slipping. It's done yeah. for a very specific way. So even the lighter tone in that is a dark thing. Because this is a very serious thing. It's it's almost um, it's almost gallows humor from from that individual. You know, it's uh, a person who's accepted that they're probably going to die, and and they're trying to they're in that weird dark humor phase um and it's very very effective now he cronenberg's never used gore in the way that somebody like peter jackson did in his early films like dead alive or bad taste where it was just so over the top and and used to intentionally get a ew that was gross kind of reaction totally it's it's modern slapstick with I mean, it's gore. Yeah, it is. It's gore slapstick, but Cronenberg's Especially always... In Dead, or in um, Dead Alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's all for comedy. It's, it's it's Frankly, it's hilarious, especially the excess in the climax of that film. But, and Cronenberg's it's, never it's done that. Alive. Yeah, and Cronenberg's never done that. I, I can't no, think of I a mean, single film of his I that I can't think of... I, I love a lot of his films, mm-hmm. but sense of humor is something they don't really have. <laughs> it's and not, he, there's not a lot of lighthearted moments. In, in and I would even say his most bizarre film, which was Naked Lunch... Um, which I, I don't think it was very successful because you're taking a very odd source material and making it into an even more odd film with one of the most odd yeah. directors out there. Um, yeah. There there was stuff in there that is so absurd that it could be laughed at, but it's not because it's so absurd. You're, you're just... It's almost like a, an abstract painting. You're trying to just figure it out. And I think with The Fly, this was really like... A true horror. He, he never really did a lot of. He's done done a lot of horror. It's you know? probably the most straight horror film that he's done. Um, it's it's very much body horror, like we talked yeah. about. But yeah, yeah, it's probably the most straight horror film, and that's because it's based on a classic horror film, um, based on a short story, which is definitely 
in that vein as well. Now, have now, you ever, I, read the, ever read the short story? I have not. I've not. I was actually gonna gonna search for it and, and try to yeah try to get it's, through. It's it. worth it. It's both of these films are fairly um, good adaptations of them. The fifty eight is okay. probably a little more similar to the short story, but mm-hmm. um, the Cronenberg movie is well. I, I, I think the Cronenberg movie is a very faithful remake. In fact, we talked about this when we talked about uh, Cape Fear. Mm-hmm. We we got off a little bit into remakes and what makes you know a good remake or a bad remake or whatever. And the most effective of these, we we found another one here that is a fantastic remake of a movie. Of, of an already pretty good movie yeah. and the reason it's so good is because it's very much its own movie it's a really effective modernization of the subject material and it yeah. really digs yep. deep into you know what what would transforming into an insect be like what would it do to you what would it do to your mind what would it do to your body um this is something that we had in this era of filmmaking was for sci-fi and horror for body horror and i love that Mm -hmm. term you know um or bio horror i would say that this is up there with again robocop um an american werewolf in london and and a handful of others where it's really about a person transforming and and i really i think hellraiser's in there too because if you think what's going on in this era is you've got some of the biggest versions cancer and AIDS. Yeah. Well, and Clive Barker, I like that you bring up Hellraiser because Clive Barker, as a, yeah. as a writer, is someone who writes a lot about body body horror yeah, as well. He does. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everything's about self mutilation or or being changed and transformed into something that you have no control over. Um, mm-hmm. And and this, the fact that this came out in '86, you know, I agree. This is a, a modernized for its time version of that and i think american wealth in london which i find a way to bring up in almost every episode uh, you know that that yes, was that was was uh rick baker and 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 uh john landis saying you know hey if you turned into a wolf that would hurt like hell let's show it and this is if you're mm-hmm. going to turn into an insect it's even more bizarre you're turning into an invertebrate thing and um that you know the, the the digestive system doesn't even work the same and and the twitching and all of that um you know very much this it, it's more effective and and when the original fly came out in 58 it was considered grotesque and all it was was a guy with a big fly mask and a and a fly arm sleeve you know right. um which was considered grotesque at the time but it was you never saw that transformation happening and so what makes this version so much scarier is that it was something people were already scared of is themselves deteriorating. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the obvious thing is you brought up cancer, and I think that's mm-hmm. the the ultimate kind of thing that body horror, and maybe not just cancer, but any type of disease that causes something foreign to start right. growing inside of you or transforming your body into something. Well, it's your body turning against you. Yeah, it's your body destroying. Well, the same way, obviously, time. HIV and AIDS yep. turns your body, your immune system against you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's a theme that we see around the same time. And it's once again, you and I have talked about this for for decades now. But how one of the amazing things about horror and sci-fi, and then the hybrid sci-fi horror, is how they're always reflective about what are the cultural fears at the time. You know, in in the 1950s and 60s. You had, ooh, be careful with that newfangled scientific equipment because you could turn yourself into a bug or you could create a bomb or you could create giant 
bombs and bugs and stuff. You know, in the 1980s, it was be careful with science because you could destroy yourself one cell at a time. You could essentially give yourself a disease. And yeah. and I think Hellraiser is one that I've always, which we should do an episode all on all of those films if we can stomach it. Um, yes, is is that. The original and Hellraiser is not such... because of the grotesque imagery, but because of the quality of some of the yeah, sequels. Yeah, but <laughs> pretty bad. When you have an Alan Smithy film in your lineup, you know something's yes. interesting. Hey, but... it's actually one of my like though. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think um, you know Hellraiser to me has always been a, kind of a, an interesting one because it's about it, it's essentially about AIDS um, mm-hmm. and and drug abuse and the kind of cross you know where, where those intersect um it's about going after that that experience but it will it could ultimately kill you and in this one i feel like it was more kind of uh kind of a can i mean cancer's brought up in here mm-hmm. he actually says at one point during his transformation that essentially his entire body is, is a cancer turning against him and i don't think that was just just a line to throw in i think that's a big oh no now and there's a, one question i do have for you about this because there's a, another issue that's brought up in this film that that we we haven't brought up yet and that is uh the the abortion scene yeah yep and that's one of the things i had to write at the bottom of my yeah. list probably because if i if i could make our audience any but... more uncomfortable yeah um <laughs> obviously it's a polarizing issue yeah. even to date this is not an 80s issue it's something that's obviously very mm-hmm. sure um, absolutely polarizing to people even now but i don't want to reflect too much of my personal opinion onto the film but I feel like this makes a pretty strong stance on one side of the argument, and the, yeah, I mean, well, and there were two versions because, yeah. and for and for those that haven't haven't you know seen it or or have intentionally blocked it out, let me ruin your evening. Um, she there's a dream sequence where where Gina Davis's character goes in to get an abortion, and of course David Cronenberg is the gynecologist, um, and she essentially gives birth to a like a two foot long writhing maggot. Yeah. Because it's the fly, and there's a different version, and it ends up being a dream. It's a dream, which I think yeah, it was a dream, dream sequence, it was but totally yeah. a dream sequence. Um, but there's a deleted scene, a same thing, but instead of it being a maggot, it's a butterfly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really weird. Both of them are very weird. I think the maggot is much more disturbing because it's this larval thing, uh, yeah. and maggots, of course, are, are something that instills disgust anyway. But uh, yeah, this that it's a dream sequence, but then it's something she decides she does want to do anyway because she of, of you know, the father is in this case it being this this hybrid monster. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean definitely something that was not in the 1958 version. Right. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's yeah I'm assuming it's not in the short story either, but it was nope. a very risky thing to do even in 1986. Yeah, because I think it makes pretty clearly makes kind of a pro-choice argument i mean i guess there's no i mean maybe someone else could view it a different way and if, if you do like please let me know you know yeah how you see how you see it but um i think it makes a pretty strong like yeah i, yeah, I think from I, a writer's standpoint yeah. that you, you could tell what what the writers and the filmmakers position on on the issue are but i think it it, it again horror films and sci-fi films tend to like you said reflect issues that are important to not only the people creating them, but are also relevant to the period of time when they're made. Yeah. And this is this is a debate. It's an ongoing debate. It's one that people take very seriously, and um, 
sci-fi gives you the ability to take a step back and because of the fantastical situations you're put in but it you're still analyzing social problems it, you're, you're still like getting the points of the issue hmm. yeah i don't know i'm again my articulation is it, well it's it's a um <laughs> i'm failing myself here trying to sound uh trying to defend science fiction but yeah it's probably the best way to analyze the society as a whole or to kind of critique some of the issues you have a problem with in your society because you can take a step back and and apply it to a, a fictional universe or a world that doesn't exist but um it's why you know politics are so such a big part of science fiction because it does you can it allows you to look at an entire different civilization live on a different world a different universe and da 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 and then you can without relation to your own political situation you can can analyze you know well what's morally where where do i stand morally on this conflict and i think right. even in a film like the fly you you could you can do that so you can analyze the situation like that gina davis's character is in it doesn't have to be a mutated fly monster um necessarily you can emphasize that or i think you can you could kind of see where she's coming from and sure you can um even some people that are very strongly pro-life are in favor of using mm. abortion as a treatment for rape victims and for right situations where there would be obviously in this situation there's a risk to mother and uh and mm -hmm. to baby mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah um i don't think it's necessarily saying you know staunchly saying one way or the other but it, it's this situation is a very strongly pro-choice situation I mean, I, am i tiptoeing around this enough jesus but well and i think it's, it's like... also <laughs> well and and maybe this was intended or not i don't know if this was intended by by cronenberg or or you know the in the screenplay but um the fact that so you have this this scene you know where she's that's where she's at when he comes and gets her as she's at the at the clinic to to terminate the pregnancy and mm -hmm. he shows up and he grabs her and takes her back to the lab and he's he's begging her not to do it he's obviously taking the very much the pro-life approach um yes. and he's and the, his logic behind it is it's the last bit of me that's human don't don't do that and his way of trying to fix this is well we'll all just fuse together into one body which which is an argument essentially that's in a roundabout way is what people that are proponents of pro-choice in those types of, of horrendous situations that you mentioned it's like well it's kind of this all bringing it all together into this one thing and uh so yeah i i don't know if that was intended or not but it struck me as wow could this get any more pro-choice even yeah. no even i think it's with, very strongly you um... know with, well, I, I think mean, it's very pro-choice, but even even like the Brundlefly's plan is a very pro-life thing. You know, it's right. like not only keep the baby, but you know, I'm I'm your I'm the father, and we're all going to be in one fam, one body kind of a thing. It was a very very disturbing, and and uh, I think it's also interesting too uh, to, to segue from that a little bit. Uh, there were there was the sequel where. The, surprise there's a, a, a kid yeah, um, the baby the he baby survives. and yeah. there's um and i i didn't rewatch it for this episode i, I, I did and i had ever actually never seen it before and i just watched it i i remember it not being very good that's all i remember is that it was pretty I, mediocre compared to this film it is it is not i mean it's not it doesn't have the the weight or the depth or mm -hmm. just it's not as good of a movie as the fly it was more of a cash that, in that being said 
it's not awful. It has moments. Yeah. It's got some good some good gross out visuals and point. It's definitely played more a little bit more for the yeah, you know, the funny kind of shock value. And when I say funny, it's not really humorous per se, but it's um it doesn't hold it doesn't have the disgustingness of of the fly. It's it's more like um a fun gory movie. And and you know, the, well, the and fly again, creature yeah. in the movie is a creature for a lot longer. Or, yeah. I, and it's it's not a great creature. It's it's a bit funny looking. It's a bit not fly looking. Um, mm-hmm. It vomits on people a lot. <laughs> it. Uh, um, well, again, it, I don't know it, if I saw it totally out of context at the yeah. other fly movie. It's actually fine. It's a decent little you know mm-hmm. low budget monster movie. Um, as a sequel to a like a superb movie like David Cronenberg's The Fly, it's 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 not. I mean, well, because again, it's it's using movie. the horror and using the gore for all of the purposes that Cronenberg avoided. It's right. using it for yeah. the shock value. It's using it for the squirm factor. It's not using it for any kind of uh, emotional gravity. Uh, and I unfortunately, know there... the makeup effects and the creature effects just aren't as good either. oh the maquette it's, done by, it's actually done by the same team of people i believe which is well it was, it was i'm sure just on a much smaller budget is the issue wasn't uh, it written or directed by the special effects by the special yeah, effects the guy, guy that, um, which, which, why can't hey, where's his name uh, anyway i should know that chris wallace yeah chris wallace yep yeah and, and steven duplass which i mean the the animatronic the, the puppet that they use at the end of cronenberg's film where he's full brundlefly Mm-hmm. It's so good, and it's I mean, the, oh, yeah. it's it's these perfect little subtle movements in the eyes and the the proboscis and everything is just it's you know you, you get you're watching Jeff Goldblum in his prime in his youth you know he's looking mm-hmm. it, it's this this takes the Goldblum to eleven in the beginning right and <laughs> right. and he deteriorates the movie and then it comes this beautifully designed and animated monster that is just incredible in every single shot even the way it walks is very believable um you know it, it's just it's an incredible thing where at that point yeah. it's so it's still disgusting to look at but you, it's you it's also it. in the direction i think like it's directed with finesse and um Cronenberg knows how to shoot the monster to make it believable, I think. In the Fly sequel, I I think what you have is a situation where um special effects guy is directing the film and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. is very proud of his creature and just spends way too much time with the camera on it and it, it does hurt the believability of it. It doesn't move well. It looks kind of like a plastic creature at times. Um, its design's kind of cool. It, I'm not sure where they got it. It doesn't look like the fly creature from the original. I don't know why they went for such a different creature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very fly-like either. Yeah. Just kind of more <laughs> giant buggy monster. A buggy, sure, yeah, but yeah. not uh, yeah, not necessarily fly. And, and there were a number of other projects. Over there is an IDW comic book series that came out in 2015. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I, called the Fly Outbreak. There was also a number of other um, potential uh, potential sequels or remakes. There was one that Rennie Harlan was attached to for a while, one that, that Cronenberg yeah. even talked about doing a sequel uh, about almost 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I remember that was like a green light thing he was talking about doing. He was going to do another Fly movie and then... Yeah, and then yeah. It, it just kind of, these as these things do sometimes, is, it just kind of... Which is fine. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think we need another... 
another of these fly movies. If you want to, if you want to uh, go, you know, make a movie again, like good remakes, what do they do? They, they modernize and they reflect the concerns of the era in which they're created. So if you want to do that and rewrite from that standpoint, sure. Um, this one, I'm not saying a good remake couldn't be made, but this would be a very hard one to upstage. This was though, this version, the Cronenberg version was adapted in 2008 into an opera. <laughs> yes, I it think was I a two-act opera um, that uh, it played in in Paris, and then I think it also played in uh, in L.A. And I guess it was it it did pretty well. I apparently yeah, again, it only was around for a year, or so but uh, yeah, there was actually a the fly the opera, um, <laughs> which was about two hours long, and and actually Cronenberg. Uh, directed it actually. Cronenberg directed it, and um, there Is was. Is there a video release of this anywhere? I, I, I don't know, but I gotta track it down. Um, but yeah. yeah, there was actually a, a an opera based on Cronenberg's The Fly, where apparently Seth Brundle is a bass baritone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, rather interesting. I did not know that until uh, after you know, doing a little bit of research for this this uh, episode. But yeah, that's something that interesting. That's like that's that's got to be tracked down. Yeah, <laughs> an opera of the fly. Huh. So so we're. I mean, th- I think it's pretty obvious where we're going to fall on grading this one. But just yeah. because yeah. we have to, what, what what would you assign it if you had to give I, it a letter grade? I'm giving it another another A. I know we seem to give A's to just about everything, but this was. Yeah. This is a film that I mean I I grew up in, it was. I mean these are films that deserve it though right we've been given a lot of A's out but uh, I know, think I th- well I think as we're picking movies that we Kate like Fear, for the most part Dragon Slayer yeah. The Fly all of these movies we gave A's to um, yeah well I think deserve, also we're, I think we're, these we're, are deserved movies I think I we're mean, picking movies that we like and we want to watch again too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know? of course uh, I, but um, I think and that is. That's another thing. Like, I would encourage people if, if they're gonna get you know get in touch. Let us know if you disagree or if we're we're going too easy on any of these or if we're just you know we're if we're cherry picking the classics and you want to see us something else. Let us know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I always have this this soft spot in my heart for practical effects and really good makeup effects. And I mean, this this is this is the only Cronenberg movie to ever win an Academy Award, and that was for yeah. uh, the makeup design and, and execution. I mean, you've got. We've got these various stages where he's he's transforming and nowadays this would it's all be done in post it would all be done in post with with makeup or some kind of uh, not makeup but it'd be done in post post production with with computer animation and that's fine sometimes but gosh i mean you can tell people are on the set when when gina davis and him are interacting and he's in that makeup you can tell some of her reaction is to the makeup because it's yeah. and, and his fantastic performance, and I think you can perform more when you're wearing all of that. You know, you look like a fly. You can act like a fly. But if somebody's like, "Ah, we're going to make you a fly later," and I just buzz around, it's not going to work <laughs> right. quite as well. You know, it, it's hard to. Um, I, I, you know, clearly people have done a great job. You know, I mean, we had Benedict Cumberbatch played a dragon in in The Hobbit, and he essentially played it by wearing green tights. He wore a green bodysuit on a green screen set. And he did mm-hmm. a good job for the the bodywork acting, and there's nothing against people like him or uh, or Andy Serkis or anything like that. But to be in the the actual physical practical effects, 
you can tell a difference totally. It, it makes a huge difference, and you can see it in performances. And and you know, Jeff Goldblum I, has kind of become a meme. But if you like Goldblum, you've got to see this movie. This is one it, of the best performances he gives. Quintessential Jeff Goldblum. It might be his greatest performance. Yeah. If if anyone knows of one they enjoy better, let me know because I would like to see it. So absolutely. Um, I me too. Me too. So I, yeah, this is this is Jeff Goldblum's shining. You know. He probably should have won an award, awards for this. I'm not sure if he won any acting awards for it. It wasn't the Oscar, but um, yeah, in yeah, fact, he I, did. I he won some sci-fi awards. Yeah, he did win a Saturn Oscar. Award for it. Yeah, um, and he was he, he's absolutely excellent in it. And this so, is this is yeah. another one where I kind of hope they don't remake it because I think you know this is classic Cronenberg. And it, if it, they it do the park. remake it, like they just they can't try to remake this movie they have to do their own thing with it like it's got to be a new fly for the modern era they, they can't they can't remake this movie and hope that it's any good so mm-hmm. um so. anyway yeah i would definitely come down on it and i'm gonna give it an a too and not to just you know echo your score but it's it's just that good of a movie i think we're we happen to pick a couple of weeks in a row here pick movies that are just that good so yeah. um that's a major recommendation if you've not seen the fly uh, what are you waiting for? This is one I think I, this is one of those movies. Yeah. Definitely one of those movies that like you're gonna get that. Oh man, you haven't seen that movie reaction out of everybody if you haven't seen it. So just save yourself the experience. embarrassment. Yeah, it's an experience. Get out there and see. <laughs> this movie is an experience. So, it, it, it's, oh, yeah. it won't. It's not like going to change you like Brundle Fly, but it will actually. It, you'll. You yeah. can say you've seen the fly, and, it's, and it'll an have an impact. Movie. It's it's effectively <laughs> disgusting, but it. And it's effectively emotional. Yeah. I think I I like how gross this movie is. It kind of yeah. makes you feel like, Ugh, you know, but it's, yeah, it's it's effective. Yeah, and there's also, like, some really great character moments in this movie. It does really well for its its great pacing and small cast. And, um, yeah, anyway, running out of time on it. But, yeah, it's, by the way, it's a Mel Brooks production. Did you know that Mel Brooks produced this film? I did not. Yeah. I did not his, know It was one of the first major projects that his... Uh, Besides his own films, yeah, Brooks but other films. projects Holy. that uh, wow. Brooks Films took on. So they actually bought the screenplay before Cronenberg was attached, before he did a major rewrite on the screenplay. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so Mel Brooks also, the Brooks Films also produced the sequel as well. But The one parting so yeah, thing was, I do want to... Brooks Films was involved in a lot of other stuff yeah. besides Mel Brooks. But The, the one parting thing that I do want to uh, kind of uh, finish this up with is something that I did notice, and that is Seth Brundle. As a scientist, I don't get. And that's because if you could create a teleportation device, but you can only teleport inanimate objects, you would go down in history. Clearly. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't have to wait for anything. You order it off Amazon. It wouldn't be two days. It'd be like 10 seconds. He's your... You're mad scientist. They're always driven to the point. Yeah. So I mean, we 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 spent a long time talking about how well you know how yeah. cute and cuddly and you know sexy Goldblum he was in the beginning of the the film, but he's already an obsessed mad scientist. Absolutely, so, because so, if, if I could invent theory, a teleportation but... device, I'd be like, sell it, <laughs> give yeah. me, cut me my check. He's no, like, no, he's no, no, go don't tell anybody about further. it until I can do this with people. So it's Seth like... Brundle was a man that was never going to tell anybody about this until. Yeah. Maybe never, because he would always, those mad scientist types always have the next level of perfection they have I mean, to achieve. So. I think currently with teleportation, I think physicists are somewhere like, we were able to move an electron 
yeah, a particles. fraction of a micron away from where it was. <laughs> I believe they they. I'm not gonna. And this go guy and this guy yeah, can I'm... do pantyhose. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> nope, not good enough. So I, right. yeah, I, I, I question his sanity from the get-go, but god damn, this is a good film, and I highly yeah. recommend it. Fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, and I, I know because I run into these myself, sometimes they're just those ones you never got around to. So if someone out there hasn't seen The Fly, you should change that. Otherwise, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, stay Absolutely. tuned. We've got more episodes coming up soon that are in the pipe that uh, we'll, we'll be churning out more. And like always, please feel free to give us feedback. You can reach us at videojunkairpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and the various other social media sites that we're reaching out on. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? No, that's it. Please. Uh let us know if you uh, have any feedback we'd love to hear from you might even read uh, some of your stuff on the air if you have uh, some opinions or your own reviews we'd love to include them in the show get in on the conversation absolutely but other than that um, as always I thank you very much for listening thanks a lot everybody we'll talk to you soon you have been listening to the video junkyard podcast I do wish we could chat longer but having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast on Twitter at videojunkpod and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast all one word want to thank you again for listening and keep digging who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard <laughs>